0: Hello, everyone. I'm Alan Popcotter, and you're listening to Call Talk for Wednesday, May 26, 2021. Today's topic is Leveraging Workforce Management Best Practices to Optimize Contact Center Efficiency. If you're listening live, we invite you to be part of the show and ask questions. Here's how you do it. You can email me at benchmarkportal.com. I want to remind everyone that all of our shows are archived and available to listen to at benchmarkportal.com any time of the day. And now I would like to introduce the host of the show, Bruce Belfiore. Thank
1: you, Alan, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. You know, I asked our senior consultants for the topics that are problems for their clients currently, and workforce management was one of the list toppers. We know that efficient agents not only make the contact center run smoother, but they create a better experience for your customers, and they save you money. So we wanted to make this episode of Talk to discuss how leveraging some of the best practices in workforce management improves agent efficiency and will impact your bottom line. So to talk more about leveraging workforce management best practices to optimize contact center efficiency, We brought in an expert, Matthew Duncan, Director of Onboarding and Support for Community WFM. Welcome to the show,
2: Matt. Thanks for having me, Bruce. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be a part of your wonderful show.
1: Okay, great. Well, for those who don't know Matt, he's Director of Onboarding and Support at Community WFM and has 25 years, that's a quarter century, of workforce management experience. And for the past 21 years, Matt has worked for Community WFM in a number of consulting, training, and support roles. Uh, Prior to this, Matt spent four years working for Disney Direct Marketing, uh, which was Disney's online merchandise catalog performing workforce management tasks and handling contact center intraday operations for 1,200 agents. So quite a job. So, Matt, is it as fun working for Mickey and friends, as it seems, from the outside? Uh,
2: well, Bruce, uh, even though we acted a little goofy at times, uh, being at the contact <laughs> center was in Kansas, uh, we didn't really have much interaction with those characters. Uh, we were more apt to run into Dorothy or the Cowardly Lion, if you will. Uh, but when we did make a run of the parks, uh, we were given the, the royal cast member treatment, uh, you know, allowed to see the behind the scenes and background tours. But uh, overall, I really enjoyed work, my time working for Disney there.
1: That's great. That's great. Yeah, no, you weren't in Kansas anymore when you went there. That's Uh, right. Just a mix of metaphors there. But uh, that's great. I'm sure it was a wonderful experience and uh, just some great customer service and employee involvement engagement uh, programs there as well. So, well, okay, back to uh, WFM. Now, Matt has identified four major areas of workforce management that he'd like to share with all of you. Uh, One is uh, shrinkage management or overhead agent costs. Uh, Second is agent skill set management. The third is making changes for the sake of change. And fourth is the need for ongoing training. So let's start with shrinkage. Uh, Managing shrinkage in contact centers is a big challenge. So, Matt, please, if you could uh, take a few minutes and explain what shrinkage is and how workforce management analysts should approach it.
2: Absolutely, Bruce. So workforce management shrinkage, uh, not the kind that you find on a Seinfeld episode, it's really defined <laughs> as the amount of additional scheduling of agents to allow for things such as call-outs, tardies, meetings, trainings, and so on to occur but still have enough staff left over to meet your service goals. Uh, the way that I like to equivocate it is by using a metaphor. So let's say you work in a box store and you have the desire to sell 100 cameras off of your shelf. So how many cameras should you order from the warehouse to make sure that you have the 100 to sell? So what you would want to do is make sure that you order enough of those cameras from your warehouse to cover uh, you know, losses due to damage, theft, lost goods in transport, etc., in order to have enough of, the, uh, enough of the cameras left over to where you would have 100 to put on those shelves. So this is the same thing with agent staffing. Scheduling enough of those agents so that as shrinkage occurs—and it will—you are still left over with the base amount of agents required to meet your service goals. A lot of times, I love that. We, you
1: know, I, I love yeah. that uh, metaphor there. I think that's uh, really good uh, in terms of you know having to overorder because of uh, damage and uh, you know loss and all that kind of stuff. Because that's what's happening is that there's time and people who were kind of lost as a result of uh, the shrinkage, uh, phenomenon that you're talking about. So yeah, let me turn it back to you. Uh, please continue.
2: Absolutely. Yes. Uh, you know, a lot of times we see our clients uh, when they're attempting to determine their true shrinkage values and, and shrinkage run rates, they're really only reviewing and capturing the exceptions that reside on their agent's schedule. So for example, they're looking at when PTO was taken or when those meetings and trains were occurring, uh, you know, agents calling in sick and so on and so forth. However, you know, we, we find that's not really the entire picture of shrinkage. Uh, a truly unrealized chunk of shrinkage is the time that agents are really not in queue when they are scheduled to be. An agent may currently be sitting in a not ready or auxiliary phone state, such as stepped away from their desk or the, the dreaded RONA, which is a ring no answer, when they're scheduled to be in queue this specific time should truly be considered shrinkage as well as the agent is not really available to handle a contact during that time as they were expected to be. And so when we donned our consultant hats and, and kind of benchmarked this in the past uh, across many clients over, you know, a period of many years, we found that on average this would equate to about an additional 5 to 10% shrinkage that goes unrealized in most of our clients' forecasts for future staffing requirements. Hmm. Ouch.
1: Boy, five to 10 percent. That's that's uh, quite a bit. And and this is shrinkage that's really not supposed to happen. Right. But it does. It's, it's kind of that's
2: absolutely right. Sort of spin- that's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah.
1: No, it's, it's kind of a sinful shrinkage because people not doing what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you you over the years have seen it actually happening. Uh, but it's not one of those things that's oftentimes incorporated into the calculations up front.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're not expecting the agents to be robots, of course, while they're out there on the floor. You know, we're expecting sometimes for them to be, you know, going to a bio break that's unscheduled or something like that, but we still need to plan for those things to occur.
1: Right. No, makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Now, when building your workforce management forecasts and schedules, um, You know, how important is it to make sure you have the correct agent skill sets in the system? That's another thing that I hear a lot about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, while it sounds like such a a simple task, the importance really of it can't be overlooked. Uh, Obviously, when we need to grant an agent access to be able to take a certain type of contact, uh, you know, we'll absolutely need to modify their associated profile inside the ACD to make sure that they are skilled to take that type of contact. Likewise, we would not want to give an agent a skill in the ACD that they don't have the the tools to process. For example, assigning a skill containing multilingual context to an agent that only speaks English. It really falls along the same lines with WFM. You would not want to forecast and schedule against the agent population assigned incorrectly to your skills. In doing so, you really could possibly damage your forecast and, and run your staffing based off of an inaccurate forecast from that point on, which subsequently would inaccurately determine the best schedules for your environment due to the misskilling of those agents. So what we find yeah. is that a good practice is really to, to kind of shore up your skill assignments with your agents in the WFM system at least once a month. Best practice of that, of course, would be to have that line of communication in place with your supervisors or your telecom team that if long-term skill changes occur, that WFM be notified about those as soon as possible to ensure that we have everything set up correctly uh, as far as skill sets uh, assigned to agents. Mm.
1: Yeah, no, I can see that that would be uh, important. In other words, if you've got that good communications so that when things happen, they're immediately uh, communicated to the workforce management team, then uh, you know the monthly truing up isn't necessary because basically it's a real time truing up, right? And to a certain extent, Absolutely. that depends on how big, right? Depends on how big your operation is, how complex it is, et cetera. But the ideal thing is to have the ongoing communication so that uh, people can uh, be properly scheduled and true up uh, right away. I, I was uh, involved in the one uh, situation where. It was somewhat unusual, outbound uh, and inbound, and people who had to insurance, and so people would take inbound calls, but then they would have to find things out and then get back to the prospect. And um, what happened was, because of the way their workforce management was set up, is they would have to ask for permission to go into outbound mode, and they would have to say exactly how much time they went into outbound mode. Now, when you're making one of those calls, you can't tell exactly how much, right? And so I found that they were wasting an amazing amount of time because of the fact that uh, the agents were overestimating how much time they would need so that they wouldn't get, you know, their hand slapped for being uh, wrong in terms of, you know, what they were supposed to be doing when. And then if they ended up with more time than they needed to finish the call, they could call workforce management back and say, okay, put me back in queue. Um, But in many cases, if there was, you know, just 45 seconds or a minute or something left, they would just let it go and take a little break for themselves. So when I I found that out and told them what was going on, they immediately changed their workforce management uh, process more than their system and uh, had incredible – you know, efficiency gain as a result that we were able to compute, and they were very happy with that. But, uh, yeah, no, back to you, Matt. But I think these issues, these uh, are very, very important.
2: Yeah, and and honestly, you know, the discussion that you just uh, had there really brings up another topic regarding uh, skill assignments to agents is, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, we'll get the question of, Let's say we have an agent that requires a specific contact type, but they really only perform that contact type in emergency situations, uh, such as uh, there being more call outs than expected in a given day, and so we need to reach out to this team of agents to handle a specific contact, uh, maybe in a backup role, uh, so that way we can get the calls waiting in queue down to a reasonable amount. And so the question always becomes, would we skill them accordingly in our WFM system to to track that change? And really best practices around that are to only assign a skill to an agent in WFM if it is part of their normal everyday contact handling, so part of their normal day-to-day shift. And the reason why we say that is if you skill them to an activity or to a contact type that they don't perform the majority of their shift, then we're really considering that agent in, in coverage for the entire day for that specific contact type, which in actuality they're only available to take the contact type for maybe 30 minutes on a Tuesday or something like that. And so then again, we're we're overstating what we actually have available to answer our contacts when we're looking at our forecasted and scheduled uh, you know, coverage numbers and so on and so forth.
1: Right. Yeah, and, and people who are being stretched in terms of their skill set. Uh, oftentimes, are less efficient, and so when you have to do it, as you said, because of a surge in a specific queue or something, well, then you have to do it. But it's certainly not good for the overall efficiency of the um, of the center to have that person who may be more fumbling around or may have to use hold more often, et cetera. Uh, not efficient to make it, you know, part of their uh, you know regular routine, if you will.
2: So yeah, good point. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, to make it part of their everyday job function. Otherwise, you know, it may go out of use and they may maybe be retrained at some point on that uh, auxiliary you know, contact type. Uh, they may have forgotten what they needed to do, uh, you know, for that 30 minutes of time on the Tuesday.
1: Mm -hmm. You know where that can also come up, uh, Matt, uh, that we've seen, is sometimes in certain companies people will come into the call center that's their first step into the enterprise, and then they're uh, promoted into other positions in the enterprise. But uh, if it's uh, a situation where there can be unpredictable and unpredicted uh, surges, then people who moved on to another role can be called back into um, service for the contact center uh, because they've already been there, they, they know things more or less, but they aren't necessarily totally up to date on all the latest, right? And uh, so those are cases, too, in which you have to be careful because people may, in fact, be out of uh, sync with what's actually happening. And uh, th- we've seen this happen, for instance, in uh, insurance companies where people go from the call center to claims or some other area, but they can be – pulled back into service when there's an urgent need.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I was working at the the Disney contact center uh, as an agent, when I first started there, uh, you know, obviously I was just simply taking orders uh, through the phone and, you know, and and, uh, to a point I was brought in to start doing some customer service on those orders. And there may have been times where i wasn't fully aware of what all the policies actually were for customer service. Maybe there was a change in strategy or something like that. And so as I'm processing these calls, uh, I may have been doing them incorrectly. And that's simply because I was only brought on to do that customer service contact type, you know, on a rare occasion when the when the queue backed up. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, yeah, the way one person put it to me was I sort of felt like, who are these people calling and what am I doing here? <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be in that situation. Yeah. So okay, no, absolutely. The skills management very, very important. And so, yeah, obviously, workforce management analysts, right? They're trying to generate the most accurate schedules as possible. Um, and and you have this concept of making changes for the sake of change. Um, tell us why that could be a bad thing. Just tell us about it in general, because I'm I'm really. Fascinated to hear what you're going to say on this one.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when working with our clients over the past years, uh, you know, we see this occurring very, very often. Uh, When looking at their overall schedules for their agent population, let's say for a single day as an example, uh, they may find that a few of their agents are scheduled to go to break and or lunch at the same time, which they perceive immediately as being an error in the scheduling process Uh, Because, you know, the the inception of spreading those breaks and lunches out evenly across the day is typically what people expect from a WFM system. And so what they'll do is they'll manually migrate those breaks and or lunches to other times of the day to to shore up and spread out those events so those agents aren't going to break at the same time. And, really, WFM systems are designed to find the best time for these breaks and lunches to occur within an agent's given shift, you know, based on their associated set of skills that they were assigned. So one of those agents taking their break at 10 a.m., which is the same break time for four other agents, you know, maybe they were given that 10 a.m. timeframe break because the WFM system has determined for that agent's unique skill set that they possessed, 10 a.m. was the best time for them to go to that break. And it just so happened that the other four agents that were also scheduled to go at 10 a.m. were determined by the WFM system that that was their associated best time for break based on their skill sets. So there's a lot of machinations that are occurring in the background that WFM systems are designed to do in order to make your, your off phone intervals as efficient as possible. So really what we try to get our customers to, to believe is to trust in the process, trust in the purpose of these WFM systems and don't just change schedules because they don't look correct in your mind. And that's really what this mm-hmm. is all about. You know, that's why we say making change for the sake of change, just really not the way to perform WFM. Right.
1: Right. Now you've got to put some trust in the uh, technology, some trust in the algorithms, et cetera. And, um yeah, obviously these things have been stress tested by a lot of other people before it uh, gets to your desk.
2: So, uh, good point. That's right. There. WFM isn't but, a yeah. It's, it's it's not a new toy, right? It's something that's been out there in the in the in the environment for for many years. And as you said, you know, been tested and tried and true. And you know, I've I've always challenged my customers to to believe in the product and just let it run for a week or two with what it states was the best time and, and see how the agents can perform to it, see what results you get. And I've never gotten any pushback from that stating, hey, you know, it just didn't work out for us. It was usually, you know, you're right. Uh, it, you know, we had much higher service level, uh, you know, goal metrics, uh, you know, for that time timeframe. Uh, we met our adherence percentages a lot, you know, a lot better, all that kind of stuff. You know, we typically get better results if we just believe in the product.
1: Okay. Very good, Matt. Well, I have one more question, and then we'll hand it over to Alan to uh, take uh, audience questions. But, you know, one of the things I hear over and over is how important it is for companies to invest in proper training for their employees. How important is workforce management
2: training in your mind? So, uh, you know, great question. Uh, You can't see me, but I'm over here nodding my head enthusiastically here. Uh, You know, we've encountered a a good number of clients in the past that have adopted a policy of we really don't understand how the product works. We only understand how we as a company work the product. You know, this is due highly to WFM turnover. So, you know, we see that WFM turnover uh, in, in the WFM department is pretty high and has been for many years and so the new analysts that are coming on board are, are possibly being given second-hand and even third-hand training on the processes for their specific environment. And, you know, as we all know, grandfathered processes over time may fall out of use or be less efficient than processes that may be required in your environment today. So, you know, investing in a formal training from the individual WFM software vendor, whoever that may be, will always help to provide a quick, you know ROI on those on those expenditures, and ensure that the analysts are using their WFM product, you know, to the fullest extent and in the best ways possible. Right, well, that's good, boy.
1: Do we see the same thing in the work that we do with clients? Uh, in fact, it was in response to client needs that we developed our on-demand course for workforce managers, uh, which is one of our most popular courses, and it's not a. Uh, you know, specific course for certain technologies, so vendor-specific, but it's more how should you approach it, how should you think about it, how should you see workforce management uh, not as a technology but as a process, as a mindset, as something that never ends and that you can always get better at. That's one of the exciting things, actually, about workforce management is that you can always get better at it, you can always refine it, uh, and you can always show results from it. Uh, one of the great things about workforce management. So, listen, these Absolutely. are great insights. I'm sorry. Did you want to say something else? Otherwise, we'll go to Alan for some questions.
2: Uh, no, I was just going to, uh, you know, to comment on what you just said. There is, you know, I've been using this specific program for 21 years now, and I still learn something new every day. So there's there's always room for improvement, like you said, and uh, you know that's why. The, the consultancies that exist out there in the space right now—that's why they exist—is because this software is not just a tool that resides on your server; it is a true philosophy and mindset that we can always improve.
1: Right, right. So important to understand that. Okay, Alan, you have got I think some questions uh, from uh, from our listeners. Uh, over to you.
0: Yes, we got a couple yes. of questions here, and the first one is from Jamie, and he is asking. Uh, what size operation should we think about switching from spreadsheet scheduling to a WFM program?
2: Ah, Great question, Jamie. Uh, really, uh, when your organization grows to you know, a size of about 20 or more agents, it's really a, typically a good time to start looking at a proper WFM tool for your environment to assist you know, in your you know, everyday WFM operations. Really, when the workload exceeds the usage of a spreadsheet, uh, maintaining time off requests, shift changes, so on and so forth, that's really when the investment for a WFM tool might be necessary. Right. Uh, I always like to uh, to tell the story of a – oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: (laughs) No, no, I I was just going to say, you know, what we see, too, is, uh, you know, when you have uh, just a a simple nine-to-five operation, uh, five days a week, full stop, then it's easier to stay spreadsheeted. Uh, as soon as things start getting with weekends, uh, multiple shifts, uh, you know, during the day, etc., then, you, you know, the number of people goes down in terms of how many you need to uh, make it worthwhile. And there are a lot of people who find that the workforce management uh, investment is one of the highest ROI things that they can actually do. So it's uh, it's worth looking into it as you said.
2: Yeah, I mean we've we've been into call centers that have been into you know had a, as little of an agent population as let's say five. You know, in those terms, you know, obviously if you're the the workforce management analyst or the scheduler at that point, you can just kind of lean back in your chair and tell you know one of the five agents, hey, go ahead and go to break now, you know that sort of thing. Uh, and so you know maybe a WFM tool isn't as necessary, but there are a lot of you know, features from a WFM tool such as adherence uh, and intraday reporting that can benefit you regardless of your age and population. Oh. Okay.
1: Good
0: point, Alan. Yes, the next question we have is from Sandy, and she's asking, I'm fairly new to WFM, and I'm not good at forecasting for holidays. Do you have any tips? <laughs>
2: Good one. (laughs) Ah, Yes. This does come up often, doesn't it? So, uh, you know, absolutely, Sandy. Uh, My advice to you would be to, uh, you know, to have scenarios at the ready. So an example of what I'm speaking of there is I'm preparing my forecast for an upcoming week that has a holiday on Monday. You know, it just so happens that we actually have one of those instances uh, for next week. We have Memorial Day occurring. So when I would forecast my holiday week that includes Memorial Day, I would want to utilize historical weeks that had a similar pattern. So I would want to look to weeks in the past that had a Monday holiday. Now, it doesn't have to specifically be Memorial Day. It can be Labor Day or, you know, if Fourth of July is closed in your center and you happen to follow on a Monday, you know, anything that follows the same type of arrival patterns. So you could utilize just those specific weeks in history help to ensure that your forecast is just that much more accurate for the coming holiday week
0: Uh
1: okay yeah very good uh very good input there and i think you're right you know it's a memorial day like labor day uh it depends on your business obviously and that's going to come through in the historical patterns if you're uh, an auto insurance company then (laughs) the day after one of these holidays is going to be real busy because there's going to be those accidents and you're going to have quite a bit coming in. And uh, looking at those uh, historical presidents really make, makes a big difference.
2: Okay, Alan. Yeah, Thanksgiving. Does any,
1: uh, does uh,
2: uh, oh. oh, sorry. Uh, th- Thanksgiving is a great example of that. You know, Thanksgiving is a static holiday. You know, year over year, it's always up falls on a Thursday, and so, you know, that is one example of one that we can look to the past years just to that specific week. Uh, because it may have a different pattern than other weeks where you have a Thursday holiday. So maybe there is a week in the past that has a Thursday holiday that it's not necessarily a closed holiday. We obviously wouldn't want to use that specific week because you are still receiving contact volume on that Thursday, and so the arrival patterns are going to be somewhat shifted than uh, Thanksgiving week where we're actually closed on Thursday. So it's always just Mm -hmm. finding those patterns of arrival Uh, in, in the past historical weeks, that's really what you want to look to. Right. Okay,
1: great advice there. Alan, do we have any more?
0: Yes, we have one more here from Jennifer, and she is asking, we have just started to keep track of our agents' adherence to their schedules.
2: What is a good starting goal for adherence percentages? Ah, That's a fantastic question as well. This is one of my passions, actually. Um, You know, so we get this question often when we're training uh, new people, you know, that are new and green to WFM. And really, a a good starting adherence goal would be around 85 to 90% to start. This will, you know, really allow the agents to kind of get more comfortable with what occurrences on their schedule impact their overall adherence score. So they start to get a better understanding of if I were to be stuck on a call and go to break late by a few minutes you know what impact does that have on my score not that we're going to want the agents to you know tell the caller sorry i got to go to break and hang up on them but again it just you know get, educates them on what occurrences were are actually impacting their adherence score for the day so then we say that maybe ramping that goal up to a 90 to 95 percent adherence uh, percentage for a given day you know maybe after a few weeks or a month or something like that Because, again, the the agents at that point will be comfortable with what is impacting their adherence, and then the WFM analyst will have a better understanding of that as well. 95% might seem pretty hard to achieve, but if you think about it in terms of a typical eight-and-a-half-hour schedule, a 95% adherence score still allows for approximately 20 minutes out of adherence for the day. So this could include going to break or lunch late due to being stuck on that call, uh, having to visit the restroom that's not scheduled, so on and so forth so ninety five percent adherence goal is very achievable uh, for well managed contact centers.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Great response, great response there. okay, well, we've gotten to the uh, end of our half hour here, and this has been a information filled session, really. Uh, really appreciate your. Uh, insights, Matt, and uh, thank you very, very much for sharing them with our audience. So, th- Do you have any final words before we hand things over to Alan to wrap things up?
2: Uh, other than just the fact that I really appreciate it again that you guys allowed me to participate on this show, uh, I've been looking forward to it ever since I heard about it, and uh, you know I hope to be on the show again.
1: Okay. Thank you. We will. We'll have you back on. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, <laughs> Alan. Over to you.
0: Yes. Thank you again to Matt Duncan and to Bruce Belfiore for your insightful discussion on today's show. Be sure to join us next month for another great show or look at our huge selection of archived shows on on hot topics at benchmarkportal.com. Then click on Call Talk where you'll find over 12 seasons of this show. From all of us at Benchmark Portal, keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. This is Alan Potter signing out. Have a great day and stay safe.
2: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW proof. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.